Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. This is episode 81 of the Lean Blog Podcast from January 6, 2010. Our guest today is Rob Bryant, Vice President of Quality at CSC Computer Sciences Corporation. And in this podcast, Rob will talk about how CSC, as a non-manufacturing company, uses Lean uh, for their business and for their customers. And Rob is also going to share his very uh, special and unique story of uh, why he got into the quality field in the first place. I I think you'll find it um, very interesting and inspirational to hear Rob um, talk about that in today's episode. So as always, I want to thank you for listening to the Lean Blog Podcast. Rob, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the Lean Blog Podcast today. Thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure to join you. It's uh, our pleasure to have you here. Um, I was wondering if you could start first by introducing Computer Science Corporation and how you use Lean in the context of your business. Sure. Uh, This is Rob Bryant, Vice President of Quality with Lean Six Sigma, and uh, CSC is an outsourcing company. Uh, many very large companies will outsource all of their IT, their servers, their networks uh, to a company like us. Our largest competitors are IBM and EDS. And I mean, it's, it, you're outside of you know, what people might typically expect, uh, application of lean in a traditional manufacturing or production environment. So how, can you describe a little bit about how you use lean, what types of processes you're typically improving, what types of results that you get from using lean? Oh, certainly. Uh, Yeah, Lean began in manufacturing, of course, but I think it quickly migrated to services. Um, Manufacturing, you have something that you can hold in your hand and something that you could, uh, you know, reduce the size or make faster or something. Um, Services are a little more more difficult in my mind uh, because at the end of the day, it's very difficult to put your hand on something and say, this is what I did today. So improving um, is, in my mind, uh, maybe even a little more complicated in um, in services. So how we apply lean is to our process steps. Uh, for instance, uh, we have processes that might be 30 or 40 uh, steps long. So we'll look at each step in terms of uh, its value, and those steps we believe are non-value-added. We begin leaning. And um, we've had 40 and 50 step processes uh, that were costing too much, uh, too much labor, uh, taking too long, not meeting uh, uh, client uh, requirements. And we've been able to lean them down to 12, 15, 20 steps sometimes. And uh, as you know, if you can eliminate a step, that's one step that can't go wrong again. And uh, so that's the power of lean. and uh, so we apply it to internal processes. We also apply it to client processes. Many of our clients have a strong Lean Six Sigma practice, and they ask us to partner with them. Then we have, we have other clients that we introduce Lean Six Sigma as just part of our uh, services to them when uh, we're awarded the contract, and we begin applying that. And uh, many times, many times they uh, ask us to help them with Lean Six Sigma. Um, and just expand uh, the scope of the uh, uh, the contract. Rob, from your experience uh, with the lean manufacturing methodology and 
quality improvement, what are some things that you found um, that work well uh, in with uh, implementing lean management practices and, and maybe some things that you found um, don't work well or can be problematic for people? In IT services, some of those things that work well uh, are the five S's and some of the failure uh, mode effects analysis, things like that. And the reason we find uh, those effective applying lean to our services is we can reduce interruptions. Um, interruptions are those things that you're sitting there at your desk and you have flybys. You know, you have a customer walk by and, and ask you things. And um, so we're able to reduce uh, interruptions using lean um, uh, with uh, online help-type help situations. Um, poor and inc- incomplete definition is something else that we've been able to lean and, and get the contract uh, right in the beginning. Uh, when we put a contract uh, uh, together well in the beginning, everything downstream uh, works well. Uh, non-value-added steps, this is something else we go after. Um, oh, non-value-added approvals. Uh, it was really interesting. Uh, uh, NASA called me a few years ago and asked me to lead a lean event for them um, because they needed 18 approvals for uh, very inexpensive parts and services and things like that. So uh, it, it was really interesting. I, I pulled a couple hundred uh, purchase orders uh, at random, and, and you and I understand why random is so important. Um, so I looked at large POs, uh, small POs, and recent ones and old ones and things like that. And I noticed a recurring theme that there was only six or seven of those 18 approvers that were adding value. In other words, they were circling something or saying, check that vendor, check that buyer, check that date, uh, check the address. Maybe the address changed in the contract, that kind of thing, uh, the ship to address. And so the other ones, they were signing simply because um, and they felt that it was required or, or, you know, a lot of times it's it's rice bowl kind of things. It's It's power kind of things. It's, you know, I can I can keep my job as long as I'm approving things and signing things, and and uh, you know the government, uh, uh, the bureaucracy and the government can lend itself to that very easily. So what we did is we um, we eliminated a lot of the non-value-added approvals, and then for political reasons, some we couldn't. We took them off the political path. So we said, you know, we're still going to send you a PO, but we're not waiting because we've never. You've never uh, delivered any value. And, of course, I was a little bit more politically correct in the delivery of the message. Uh, but we went from 18 approvers down to nine. It, just absolutely amazing. And it was just applying very simple, rudimentary, uh, lean principles. Um, non-value-added requirements is something uh, that we've applied lean to. Um, uh, loops is something. Uh, there's some loops that you want in your process. If you modify a process and then you want it to loop back to you so that you can ensure that the process is working well, that's fine. But many loops, of course, are just rework. It's, it's things that we didn't design that way. And so we go after um, a lot of loops, um, bottlenecks, of course. Um, we also go after those steps that are those processes that are serial that very few steps are parallel and will uh, try to uh, maybe in a 12-step process uh, and all 12 steps are serial, if you can move four or five of those steps 
uh, into parallel mode, then really this you can complete the process in the same amount of time it was taking uh, you to do seven. So we apply that uh, quite a bit. Um, we've had a lot of success in almost all our in almost all our accounts um, uh, with Lean Six Sigma. Uh, we've had uh, tremendous success stories. Um, we've been able to uh, financially validate over two hundred million dollars of costs. Uh, either reducing costs or increasing revenue directly attributable to those uh, lean Six Sigma uh, projects. Um, it was really interesting. Early in the program, I asked uh, I asked uh, one of the very senior execs in the company, who's the most negative and nasty uh, financial uh, folks in the company? And it's interesting that a name came to his mind quickly, which kind of scared me a little bit. Well, I had that person... Uh, begin financially validating our Lean and Six Sigma projects because I realized if I can convince them, I can convince anyone, and it, it worked rather well. He's, he's one of my biggest cheerleaders. No, he still takes nasty pills every morning and that kind of thing, but uh, but he's one of my biggest cheerleaders now, and uh, it actually helps validate the program, having uh, him as the uh, validator of those early uh, projects. Sure. So it sounds like some general themes of, of what you're saying is – you found the ability to view almost any sort of work as a process, including paperwork processes, administrative processes like um, contracting or okay. uh, work like that, correct? Yes. Yeah, and so what are there, considering your environment and the type of work that you and your company do, uh, are, are there any, any of the lean methods that you found difficult to apply or things that haven't worked well in your setting? Um, yeah, I guess uh, WIP is something uh, that we struggle to implement in that um, it, it's difficult to assess a service is how much work is done. You know what I mean? In manufacturing, it's a little bit easier when you're uh, dealing with widgets on an assembly line. Um, but WIP is something that we haven't applied nearly as well as probably we should. Uh, I know some of our competitors use, use it um uh, it, but I think almost all of the other lean tools uh, we've been able to utilize. Um, and, um, uh, and not too long ago, there was a uh, lean event where the client, um, the problem uh, is that it was taking much too long for them to invoice uh, their clients. And uh, so they asked me to lead a lean event, a three-day lean event uh, for them. And uh, we had a few CSC folks in the room, but you know, it was almost all uh, clients. And uh, I was able to introduce uh, some technology uh, to the process, but very little technology. It was almost, it was uh, actually the redu reduction of handoffs in the process um, that was able to speed up uh, their invoicing um, by uh, probably 10 days at least. And, uh, you know, the DS DSO with a large company, 10 days can be pretty dramatic. So um, I was wondering if you could share some thoughts um, looking ahead as, as we're getting into 2010 here. What, what's your outlook uh, for Lean for, for your company or across industries? Well, we think that Lean will even be bigger in CSC 
um, and I'll talk about industry in just a minute, even bigger in CSC because we actually introduced Six Sigma to CSC first only because it was uh, more available in the service industry when we began applying this back in 2002. And uh, very quickly, some... Uh, uh, some of the uh, management became disillusioned with Six Sigma, Six Sigma saying, well, it takes too long, it costs too much, and, and they're right. And so we were looking for uh, a leaner approach to Six Sigma and then lean for manufacturing quickly swept through services. We began uh, applying lean. So now we begin every project in uh, the defined stage of DMAIC, Define, measure, analyze, improve, control, the five steps of the MAC. So we begin every project in Define. But if we find that we understand what the problems are, we understand what the solutions are we want to put in place, um, so really all we're doing is reducing costs or reducing labor, uh, and we do understand the problem, then we won't go through the rigors of DMAIC, Six Sigma, uh, we'll We'll just do a lean event, or we'll use lean tools uh, to uh, reduce um, the redundancy that's causing the problem. Um, and uh, so we believe that lean is even going to be bigger in CSC than it has been. Uh, and I'm seeing the same trend in industry. Uh, some of my um, some of my counterparts with some of my other companies are experiencing the same uh, types of uh, disillusionment with Six Sigma and Lean is relieving them and uh, and helping them uh, improve their uh, programs and improve products and services. And can you touch on what what you think some of the broader trends will be um, across industry? Well, I think that I think that um, what we're going to be seeing in industry is more pressure on um, reducing middle management, uh, reducing um, costs. Uh, since we're in a recession, we're finding, uh, and, and since the dollar is so weak, we're finding that uh, many companies, or excuse me, many countries now are buying U.S. because the dollar is so weak. But the only way it, they will is if we reduce our costs to compete with um, third world countries. So we're seeing uh, much more uh, pressure on reducing costs in those services that we really had given up to third world countries because we couldn't compete. Well, now with a weak dollar and with our recession, uh, we have to we have to put workers, uh, we have to put people people back to work, and the only way to do that is reduce costs. We're seeing in, increased uh, pressure on the quality community within those companies to help them reduce costs to be competitive. Okay, thanks. And um, as, as final thoughts, I um, uh, was wondering you know, what it was, if you could tell your story about what it was that led you into working in quality as a profession. Well, it might be a little bit of a unique story um, in my case, um, in that in 1982, I fell 55 feet from an oil derrick, became an instant paraplegic. I was in the hospital four and a half months the first two or three weeks uh, just to survive. Uh, falling 55 feet, I had many internal injuries, broken back, broken bones, um, a head injury, and thank goodness uh, in time there was no uh, brain damage, so I'm still me. But I live in a wheelchair. I learned to walk a little bit with braces and crutches, and 
um, uh, but basically, I live in a wheelchair, uh, you know, every day and have since that day, and I will the rest of my life. And so, I guess what took me into quality is two things. One, I wanted to understand why that totally failed, and I wanted to make products safer, mm-hmm. uh, and I wanted to improve quality. But on a much more personal level, uh, about two weeks after my injury, I was sitting there at home in my wheelchair, and uh, my oldest son was three years old, and um, my second son uh, was just uh, months old at the time of my injury. As a matter of fact, that son and I learned to walk together, him with uh, two healthy legs and me with braces and crutches. But uh, my oldest son, you know, was staring at me, and I, I asked him, well, what's wrong, son? And he went in, into his room, and he came back with the daddy book. Um, and hit, the daddy book was filled with stories of dads taking their kids to the beach and to the mountains and and uh, teaching them how to play baseball and football and all these things. And tears began flowing down my cheek as I began began to understand why he wanted me to read the book. And so I I finished the last page, and and he said, Dad, do you love me? And I said, yes. He said, are you sure? And I said, absolutely, son. He said, well, Dad, be the dad in the daddy book then. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he didn't understand why I was just sitting still Mm -hmm. in that wheelchair. He thought I wasn't playing on the floor and I wasn't throwing the ball with him as much and that kind of thing because I didn't love him. And so uh, I, I began, you know, playing baseball and playing football in a wheelchair, doing all those things to be the dad in the daddy book. And uh, he's now a U.S. Marine. And uh, so, you know, 20 years later, I went to his graduation, and this big big guy came walking up to me after the graduation and said, are you Mr. Bryant? I said, yes. And he said, uh, I have a story to tell you. And I said, well, what is it? And he said, well, your son... Uh, out of 300 Marines, uh, and, and they're all in great shape, uh, he was the first one to the top of this mountain um, in, in a race with all these Marines in full pack, full uniform, and he uh, went over the top first. And he said, I saw such uh, such incredible um, uh, you know, dedication and, and, and such uh, just determination in his eyes, and I asked him, well, son, yeah, tell me how you were able to do this. Uh, you know, I want to put that in the in the eyes of other Marines, and mm-hmm. he said, uh, simple, Sarge, I'm running for two people. I'm running for my dad, and I'm running for myself. And uh, the, he walked away, and uh, and my son walked up to me and said, Dad, that is what I told him, but, Dad, what I couldn't tell him, what he couldn't possibly understand is, Dad, you are the dad in the daddy book. He remembered that all those years, even though we never repeated it, and you know, I eventually learned uh, to walk with braces and crutches. I eventually set a world record, a Guinness World Record, for rowing um, at 3,280 miles from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. And the reason that I did those things was to be the dad in the daddy book. And so my encouragement uh, to everyone that's listening to this is to give it everything you have and, and do the best job you can, you know, as, as a mom, as a dad, uh, as an employee, uh, because there's people watching us. Not watching, not watching us when things are going well. Anyone can do, you know, can prosper when things are going well. They're watching you when things fall apart, and that's when they ask quality professionals to step forward, take charge when things aren't going well. And and uh, Lean has helped me improve my personal life. Um, as I've been, you know, writing books and learning to walk and and doing those things, and of course, uh, they've assisted me uh, at work. Well, I mean, I, I want to thank you, Rob. Um, thank you very much for, for sharing, um, you know, your, your inspiring personal story in addition to t- talking about um, 
just uh, you know what's going on with Lean um, at CSC. Um, uh, for, for anybody who wants to read more uh, about your background, I'll post links on uh, the blog page uh, for the podcast here. But, Rob, if you could share for the listeners um, your, your personal website um, if people want to read more. Sure. It's just robbryant.com, R-O-B-B-R-Y-A-N-T.com. Well, th- thanks again uh, for joining us. I uh, really appreciate you uh, being here on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.